Donna Ravas and Mayock, Hawks and Mayock. We are in the final day of Sukkot. And I'm here with Ish Pela. This is Shomer Man. And I want to first of all say Shana Tova to everyone. Uh, this is the first recording of the year, 5779. Uh, it's been a very interesting three weeks. Lots of changes, obviously, because of the festivities that are going on. But we're here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and say the Brock and get started. Baruch atah Adonai, Elohenu Amen. So, um, I have Ish Pela here, and um, we had an interesting read that was going on during the uh, selected readings at the Bema at our uh, Shabbat service. So, Shabbat Kol HaMoed, which is the Shabbat of the festival, uh, the intermediate days are called Kol Moed, and so um, he saw something, and I want him to share it. So I'm actually going to, I don't have my Sador in front of me, but I'm about to get it right now. So while we were doing the Hoshanot, just one of the things that was talked about, and I I don't know why I never realized it, but I just, it basically said that Shlomo was known as Kohelet. So I'm like, wait, what? Because I always thought Kohelet, was in reference to the temple, you know. That's why we have the hotel, but I didn't know if that was even related. Mm. But that was just kind of how my mind was, like, drawing the comparison. I don't know. And so then it just really made me think about it even more when I read it today. Uh, so, let me try to find it. Okay, I'm almost there. Take your I time, apologize. Bro. We got, we got plenty of time. Say again. I say take your time. We got plenty of time. Mm, all right. And shall I say, here, here. <laughs> here, here. Okay. So it says, as you say to call Helet and his people in the eternal temple, they pleased you when they celebrated seven and another seven days. So say now is what we say. So, it says Kohelet, but in the in the brackets, it says this is Shlomo. Like, basically, this is who's, as you say, Shlomo and his people in the eternal temple. So, as we, as we read that, I was just like, wait, 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 wait. So, you mean to tell me that a king of Israel was known as Kohelet? Kohelet refers to, I'm assuming, the temple or a body of people because the root word for Kohelet is Kohelet. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Right. Like, it's just been staring everybody in the face right there for, like, millenniums now. And nobody wants to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> because Mashiach totally says, you know, tear down this temple, i.e., because I'm the king. I am Kohelet. I'm Kohelet, you know. Mm. I'll rebuild it in three days. So that's just kind of my take. But uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are 
it's interesting that we're talking about Melik Shlomo with Kohelet, and then you're thinking about the temple, and then you're thinking about the king of Israel. Because you know that, or we all know that the temple was built, the first temple was built by Melik Shlomo, which is literally the first Ben David. So if you think about the son of David being the temple builder. I get what you're getting at. You know, like Mashiach Ben David is going to build the temple. And so we see the first son of David build the first temple. So how about Mashiach Ben David will build the final temple? Which I have this wonderful book called Mashiach Who, What, Why, How, Where, When. Uh, Breslev Publishing, Rabbi Chaim Miller. Um, so we'll obviously be dropping some of that in a little bit. But I was just going to support. I was just going to support your your root word of Kohelet being Kahal, because if you look in Bereshit chapter forty eight, starts off with talking about Yosef bringing his father his two sons so we're going to see the ben yosef here all right so we know there are two mashiachs there's a mashiach ben david there's a mashiach ben yosef mashiach ben yosef has to precede mashiach ben david the idea and the understanding from all of the texts and the sources is that there is a suffering messiah and a reigning king and both are the same messiah so the idea of the two Mashiachs, we're talking about that right now in a very esoteric way. But we're looking at the, the Ben Yosef aspect here in Bereshit 48. And the first Ben Yosef that we see is Ephraim and Menashe. So the cool thing about this right here is that Ephraim is succeeding in uh, precedence over Menashe. So the type and shadow for Mashiach ben Yosef is Ephraim. And we have the Messiah text. And again, this Breslev book, uh, Who, What, When, all the W's uh, with Mashiach. They all talk about Mashiach being Ephraim. The name of Mashiach ben Yosef is Ephraim. And Ephraim is from Galilee. And Ephraim is a descendant of Yosef. And we know that's the one who's going to suffer. So there's a key verse here that talks about Ephraim. And it says, uh, let's see, it is verse, I believe it's verse four. So let's say, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you a kahal. I mean, I will make you a kohelet. Okay, so we see the first time that we the the first time we use the word kahal is in the descendants of good night. So Benny B with Ladder of Jacob commenting on this Torah portion, which by the way is Parsha via key, and he lived talking about the death of Yaakov. This is what it says in the commentary from Benny B. Says the, the phrase in Hebrew for congregation of peoples is the word kahal amim. 
The Septuagint renders this word as synagogue, ethnos, a synagogue of people. Right. And, and, and the other thing that made me think about it, because they actually translate Kohelet in the English as Ecclesiastes. And I always wondered, why do they call it Ecclesiastes? Where did they even get that name from? Well, in the Greek, Kahal, it tra literally translates into Ecclesia or Ecclesia, which would mean church. Basically, I mean, well, that's the modern, you know, the modern thing. But that's what made me actually like look at it in, in that aspect. And I was like, that's literally the root word is Kahal. But anyways, sorry. So, uh, esta verdad. Um, that's good. <clears throat> that's true. And the cool thing about that is you see the, the way you have a, literally, if you want to go ahead and use the really, really distilled down word church, we see that really the king of Israel is the one who the church is founded in. But when you it's the synagogue. <laughs> right. But the church, the church isn't what we see today. The church is right. not a building where people go on Sundays uh, or first day of the week. It's not a place where uh, holidays that are in the Bible are celebrated and talked about. And it's not a place where people go that um, are anti law of Moses. Because when you look at really what the church is supposed to be, it's actually supposed to be, like we said, an ecclesia or to get more technical and more correct and accurate would be kahal. <coughs> so to continue here, it says kahal was later, keyword later, translated into Greek. And that's where ecclesia came from. And then it says today with theologies based on translation. The quote-unquote church has become a separate entity from Yisrael. And it is even taught that the church was born in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Yet, church has the mystical body of Yisrael, or church that is the mystical body of Yisrael existed before this. Even the King James, okay, Melik Jimmy over here. Translates, speaking of Moshe being in the church, when it, you go to Acts 7.38 and it says, this is Moshe that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received lively oracles to give to us. So now let's use proper terminology from now on. And if you look at even Acts chapter 7, first of all, it just says that there's an angel that spoke to him from Mount Sinai. And we know, we're listening to Rabbi Griffin's his drosh on Shabbat Kol HaMoed 5779, get you some. He talks about this angel, and this angel is Memtet, which we know is Mashiach Yeshua. And so the place where Moshe was able to go to hear the word of God and speak to Hashem face to face was literally in this angel or with this angel. And then the place where Moshe was when he brought forth the Torah to the nation of Israel, 
the nation of Israel at that point was called a kahal, a synagogue of peoples. And so literally, if you think about the precedent here, the first synagogue, not only was it in the wilderness, but it was in Mashiach, in the clouds of glory, at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's your kahal. So if you have any place that you're trying to go and you really want to seek Hashem and you really want to strive to know his word and be close to him, you know, that's your precedent right there. You know, um, that means the law of Moshe, the Torah, the word of God, the Bible. I mean, that takes on a whole new understanding and a level of clarity right there. But to kind of wrap up where I'm going with this, if we go back to Bereshit 48, it's just really cool that you can see that Mashiach ben Yosef, which is shown right here as Ephraim, right through him that we get the Kahal. So here, here. Here, here. Wow, that's legit. So um, just so everyone knows, Hoshanot is the plural form of Hoshana. Hoshana translates to save or salvation. And uh, it literally is a derivative of Yeshua. And so you think about Mashiach Yeshua being salvation and being found in him and things like that. So during Sukkot, for seven straight days, we're praying from our Sudur to be saved. You know, like this whole idea of poor Jews, I wish they could be saved and all this kind of stuff. Uh, clearly, someone is not understanding what's going on. Because if you read your Sudur during Sukkot, this is at the beginning of the year. Like as we're getting ready to finish out all the high holy days, we're, we're ending on a high note, literally praying for salvation, praying for Yeshua. We're praying that Hashem save us now, deliver us from the exile and all, all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting that we would start out this uh, drosh here talking about Hoshanot, which is all the savings, the salvations and the prayers for that. So um, we are currently right now as we're recording this, it is Hoshana Rabbah, which we find in Yochanan chapter seven. So we're going to just really just take this time uh, talking about Yochanan 7. We're going to just go through it, dissect it, and just talk about any other gleanings that we found because the week of Sukkot literally is intense and there's all sorts of studies going on. So, Rukashin. So, uh, unless you have anything else, I say we hit up Yochanan chapter 7. Yeah, go for it. So, Yochanan chapter 7, uh, by the way, Rabbi Griffin totally threw down a challenge, and this recording is the challenge accepted, because he said uh, that, you know, I could probably talk for about three hours on Yochanan chapter 7. So, uh, he said that earlier this week, so Rabbi Griffin, shouts out to you for that, and here we go. <laughs> Alright, so I'll take the first verse, Ish Pelaf, you'll take the second verse. Okay. Alright, so first verse. I'm reading from the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Because that's how we roll. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you because uh, we had a tooth over here. All right, so it says, and after these things, these things. All right, I'm going to read the whole verse and then we'll go back. All right. After these things, Melech Hamashiach, the king, the Messiah, itinerated in the Galileo. For he was not wanting to move about in Yehuda because of those who were seeking to kill him. All right. So what was happening before this? All right. So if we back up a verse, obviously, when you look at the Basora, uh, the different accounts, there's Matidyahu, there's Luke, there's Yochanan, and there's Mark. They're all uh, out of chronological order. So just because we're going back to the previous verse doesn't necessarily mean that's what that's what was uh, happening before chapter seven. But to give us a little bit more context as far as being in Yochanan, what was going on before this? Yeshua was with the twelve and uh, he was asking, you know, who do people say I am? You know, and that's when Kepha was like, uh, Hamashiach, my Lord, to where will we go? You have the words of life. And we have trusted and have, or we have confidence, which is Bitakon, and we have confidence and have trusted with Amuna, and we have Da'at, which is knowledge, that you are Hakadosh of Hashem. You're the Holy One of God, which it uh, cross-references Yeshayahu 49.7. Then it says, in reply, Rebbe Melech Hamashiach said to them, did I, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you twelve? And is one of you not a Satan? Now he was speaking of Yehuda ben Shimeon. Priyot. So Judas Iscariot is what he's normally called in English. But we need to know his name is Yehuda ben Shimeon. Alright, and then it says, uh, for though he was one of the twelve, this one was about to betray Mashiach. Literally, when you come into Yochanan chapter 7, going into the festival of Sukkot as elucidated by Yochanan here in this passage, we have this whole picture of there is no one else that will grant us the words of life outside of Mashiach Yeshua. So if we're seeking salvation in another place, if we think that Mashiach Yeshua is not the Messiah, Hashem forbid, then uh, we're going to have some issues when it comes to the words of life. And um, then we're looking at the fact of this is a conversation that's private with Mashiach and his twelve. So, out of going out of all that, we start off Yochanan chapter 7, that Mashiach does not want to go to a place where people are seeking to kill him. Which is interesting, because if you think about the fact, here comes your king, here comes the Messiah, here comes the one who is going to grant you the salvation that you're crying out for. If you're having in your mind and in your heart that you want to kill this person... What's the what's the prerequisite before being able to murder somebody? It's hatred. What's the prerequisite for hatred? That's when you're having your your little uh, quarrels. You're having your little disagreements. You're 
having a little bit of uh, underlying tension, you know, going it's on. The, it's the heart. Everything emanates from the heart. That's right. And so, thinking about the people, the very people that Mashiach was coming to save, are the very people who hated the, hated him in his in their hearts so much that they were wanting to kill him. And Mashiach is like, you know what? I'm gonna hang around over here in Galilee, which is Ephraim, by the way. Uh, I'm gonna hang around over here, and uh, you know they're not ready for me yet. So anyway, uh, that's the first verse. So second verse says, "Now the hog of Sukkot was near." Yeah, so Shiak celebrated Sukkot. I mean. I don't know. I've been thinking about that all week. Like, like, what was Sukkot like with Mashiach? But I mean, being in the, in the Sukkot, you're like, oh, I'm enwrapped in Mashiach. So he's here anyways. Come on. Right? It's like Mashiach is sitting inside of Mashiach. Right. <laughs> how do you put a Sukkah inside of a Sukkah? How do you put a... Uh, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like the concept of Zim Zoom right there, you know? It's like... Yeah, I mean, it's just like um, we said this jokingly during one of Rabbi Josh's, but he was talking about imagine um, the Arab Shabbat table where Mashiach's Ima is lighting the Shabbat candles. And it's like you're going to light the light in front of the light. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that that's another Zim Zoom right there. <laughs> yeah. And then the light says I'm in to, to the light, testifying about himself. Talking to himself. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, if anyone thinks that the Festival of Sukkot is weird, I mean, Mashiach did it. What's that all about? Yeah, cross-references, uh, Leviticus 23-34... And uh, Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen. You want to read those? Yes. All right. You, you can. Well, I'll take uh, Vayikra if you want to take Devarim. Yeah. You read my mind. Okay. So twenty three thirty four says, "Tell the people of Israel on the fifteenth day of this seventh month is the feast of Sukkot." For seven days to Adonai. On the first day, this is to be a holy convocation. Do not do any kind of ordinary work. For seven days, you are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. On the eighth day, you are to have a holy convocation. So what's so cool about that verse? Verse 36 is saying, Sukkot is seven days, but there is an eighth day. Right. You know, we're on the seventh day of Sukkot right now with Hoshana Rabbah, and the eighth day is literally called Shemini Atzeret, slash Simchat Torah. And so you have this idea of there are two holidays in one, but really it's just one holiday with another one attached to it. And so it's like, is it attached or is it a part of it? And you're like, obviously, yes. Because you read the verse, it's just like, yeah, on the eighth day of the seven-day festival. Like, really? That's what the text says? But anyway, um, you can see that Sukkot is on the 15th day of the 7th month. 
and we're in that time frame here in uh, verse two. And the other thing I just thought about while we were saying this is if the festival of Sukkot was near, that means that they're either in the 40 days of Teshuvah, which is from the first of Elul into the first week of Tishrei. Or they just finished Yom Kippur and they're in that little intermediate period from Yom Kippur to Sukkot. Right. Exactly right. And so if you think about if the people are still trying to kill Yeshua HaMashiach at this point, they clearly haven't made Teshuvah during the 40 days. They clearly went through Yom Kippur and fasted for nothing. And so when it's time to set up the Sukkah, the labors literally at this point are building in vain. So anyway, um, just want to throw that out there. So this says, so actually I'm going to just kind of back up a little bit. I'm just, this says Deuteronomy 1616, but it's like kind of starts in 1612, if you know what I mean. Yep. Context. So it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in Mitzrayim. Mm. And you shall observe and perform these decrees. Wow. Sorry. You're throwing stuff, huh? <laughs> you shall make the festival of Sukkot for a seven-day period when you gather in from your threshing floor and from your wine cellar. You shall rejoice on your festival, your son, your daughter, your slave, your maidservant, the Levite, the proselyte, the orphan, the widow, everybody in a mama. I'm just saying that, who are in your cities, a seven-day period shall you celebrate to Hashem your God in the place that Hashem your God will choose, where Hashem will have blessed you in all your crop and in all your handiwork, and you will be only joyous. Only. Three times a year, all your man's cold. Cold. Cold should appear before Hashem your God in the place that he will choose. On the festival of Matzah, on the festival of Shavuot, on the festival of Sukkot, mm. shall not appear before Hashem empty hand. Each man, according to what his hand can give, according to the blessing of Hashem your God that he has given to you. GYS, get you some. I like how you started that about Mitzrayim. And um, I remember when we were at one yeshiva and you talked about when people were asking you about your zitzit one of the most beautiful elucidations i've ever heard on zitzit was what you shared that if you look at that passage that talks about zitzit in bami bar 15 it connects the zitzit to being delivered from mitzrayim that's right and when you talked about the zitzit that we wear that represents that Hashem delivered us from slavery, bondage, death, sin. He freed us and we're serving him. Like, first of all, that was like, that was very powerful and uh, that impacted me big time. So I just want to shout, out, shout that out because you talk about celebrating Sukkot being another proof of being delivered from Egypt. Amen. So, Amen. Uh, uh, this is here. So we're just talking about the festival being near because that's verse two. <laughs> it's funny because the word here in this verse is actually et hani. Yeah. Olive top, hey, noon, yud. It says, 
according to a scribal tradition, the pay of this word is written in the enhanced form known as a double. This implies that on the pilgrimage festivals, the Israelites would come, quote-unquote, face-to-face with God, as it were. Just as God would come to the temple to see the pilgrims, so too would he come to be seen by them. Word. <laughs> the festivals is coming to be face to face with Hashem. Yeah. He says, "What well, is what it says? It says it says that God would come to the temple to see the pilgrimage, and so too would He come to be seen by them." This 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 actually says uh, the footnote says, "See Hagiga four B." So Tamud Hagiga four B. Uh, okay, we're about to open that up. <laughs> That's insane, bro. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, Olive Tov. Like, Olive Tov before, let's see, let's see, what, what is it? What are they trying to say? Saying, he shall not appear. Belo roe et pani. All right. Um, here, here. Here, here. Hagiga 4B starts off with this. This is how it literally starts. A delicate man who cannot walk without shoes. As it is written, when you come to appear before me at Pani, who has required this at your hand to trample my courts? Yeshiyahu 1 verse 12. Entering the temple with shoes is described by the prophet as trampling... And therefore, one who cannot enter barefoot is exempt from the mitzvah of appearance. So, first off, when Hashem appeared face to face with Moshe at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, he said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Right. So the Beta Mikdash is like literally the burning bush because when you go there, you got to take your shoes off. Stop. And might we add what was in the middle of the burning bush? The angel of Hashem. So yeah. to see Hashem is to see the angel of Hashem, which is Memtet, which is Mashiach Yeshua. Just to see his kavod. To see his kavod, yeah. Man. Okay, so anyway, that's how Hagiga 4B starts. <laughs> Take your shoes off. Other, other than that, you're trampling the house of Hashem. And they say literally, if you cannot walk barefoot, then you're exempt from appearing to the temple. Wow. That's crazy. But anyway, um, looking for this whole face-to-face thing. Uh, here it is. Okay, Rabbi Yohanan ben Dehavai says in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, one who is blind and one of his eyes is exempt from the mitzvah of appearance. Seriously? So the whole thing about three times a year you shall appear before Shem, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. First of all, if you cannot go barefoot, you do, you do not get to fulfill this mitzvah. And second of all, if you are blind in one of your eyes, you do not get to fulfill this mitzvah. So is it any reason why Mashiach would always heal those who had these ailments? 
You know, if you have trouble walking, i.e. being lame, Mashiach healed you. If you were blind, even in one eye, Mashiach healed you. Why? Because he wants everybody to come face to face with him. So anyway, it says um, one who is blind in one of his eyes is exempt from the mitzvah of appearance. As it is stated three times a year, you shall appear before the Lord your God. Shemot 23, uh, 17. Since there are no vowels in the text, this can be read as all your males will see. So the same word for appear, which is yerae, uh, can also... Yeah, yeah, I, I'm looking at it. It can also be permutated or reread as Yire, which means all your males will see the Lord your God. Oh, snap. Yeah, because that's the same that's the same verbiage as uh as the Akida. Yeah, when when he says in in Abraham called that site Hashem Yire. So the name of the place is called the place of the pilgrimage festivals. <laughs> we'll be seen. I mean, actually, and actually, the Baja Torum is. is there, I, I, I actually love this about the Baja Torum. Like, there, whoever translated the Hebrew to the English for the Baja Torum uh, translated that specific phrase. Is it usually saying? Uh, they usually translate it to English as, and Hashem, and the on on the mountain, Hashem was was seen. But the Baja Torum translates it as. And on on this mountain, Adonai or Hashem will be seen, like like in a future tense, like He will be seen, you know, face to face. Or if you or if you go there, you'll you will see Him, you know. So the cool thing about that is to clear up some of the um, confusion and uh, the convolution of this word Yere, because there is all the sacred name and all the improper pronunciations of the divine name. There's a divine name for the sake of teaching. I'm going to say it and Hashem forgive for pronouncing this, but the word Jehovah Jireh literally comes from that passage in Bereshit. Right, yep. And so, as you can see, not only is that an improper use of that word because the song is that name, Jireh, and he is my provider. That's literally what the song is called, and that's what people think that word means. But it's actually Adonai Yireh, which is Hashem will see, and Hashem will be seen. And so it's not this whole thing about he's my provider. It's he's. This is a time where you're going to encounter Hashem face to face. And obviously, if you're in the presence of Hashem, everything that you need obviously will be there. So... To a certain extent, yes, there is provision, but it's more so about encountering him face to face, which is through the binding of the sun, which is the Akedah, which is Mashiach. So there's that. So anyway, uh, that's an elucidation there. And it says this teaches back to Hagiga 4b. This teaches in the same manner. That one who comes to see, that one comes to see, so he comes to be seen. Just as one comes to see with both 
his eyes, so too the obligation to be seen applies only to one who comes with both of his eyes. Therefore, one who is blind in one eye is exempt from the mitzvah of appearance at the temple. Wow. So, uh, to be seen, huh? To see the Olive Tav face. That's right. See the Olive Tav face. So, okay. So, just to kind of zoom out on Yochanan 7, the Olive Tav face is obviously Mashiach Yeshua. And at this point, when we're getting ready to talk about Sukkot and Yochanan 7, the Olive Tav face is literally going to show up to the people. Yeah. That's ridiculous, man. Verse 3, you ready? Unless you got any more to unload on verse 2, because this is the get you some of Yochanan 7. Uh, nah, I mean, Baha Torah is pretty. Verse 3, it says, His brothers, his Akim, then said to him, Leave here and go away into the land of Yehuda. Okay, got to read the verse. I keep wanting to comment while I'm reading. Okay, I can do this. I can do all things through Mashiach. Okay, here we go. All right, so <laughs> it says, Leave here and go away into the land of Yehuda, that also your Talmudim will see your works, which you do. Your Ma'asim, your works. Okay, so first thing is his brothers. So, obviously, this is a family conversation, and it's just kind of like, which brothers are we talking about here? Because Mashiach said his mother and his brothers are the ones who are the keepers of the will of God, which is the Torah, mitzvot. But this seems like people here who are not a part of his Talmudim, these seem like people here who have not really understood the validity of him being the Mashiach. But... They know that he has done works and that these works need to be put on public display. However, the whole phrase here that says, leave here and go away to the land of Yehuda. We just read Yeshua is not going to Yehuda because the people in Yehuda are trying to kill him. So apparently these brothers here either are not aware that he's uh, like people in Yehuda want to kill him or they don't care. I'm going to go ahead and judge favorably and say maybe they're not aware that Mashiach is not going there because people are trying to kill him. But even beyond that, because of the Moedim, it wouldn't be time for Mashiach to die. So even if he showed up and they tried to kill him, they wouldn't be able to. Okay, here, here. Here, here. Okay, so this is coming out of, uh, the, the title of this book is just Mashiach. That's all it says. <laughs> That's all it needs to say. <laughs> this is the principle of Mashiach in the Messianic era in Jewish law and tradition by Yaakov Emanuel Shochet. Shochet, really? Yep. The kosher slaughter guy. It says, though Mashiach comes first and foremost to Israel, all the nations will recognize his wisdom. And and submit to his rule, he will guide and instruct them as well. There is no need for Mashiach to perform signs and wonders to prove himself. Nonetheless, he will do so. See Pirkei Mashiach in the end of Perik Rav Yehoshiyahu. Note Or Chaim on Exodus 21, 11, 
and see the footnote above 23. No, 23. Yeah, apparently Orcha Chaim has a comment about this on Exodus 21.11. Oh, Hashem, I hope I have Exodus 21.11. What's so crazy is I have Orcha Chaim sitting next to me, but it's the second volume of uh, Shemot. So let's see if uh, I got it on Safari here. But you just said that uh, Mashiach doesn't have to perform. Uh, it says, it says there was, they, I'll repeat it again. It says, there is no need for Mashiach to perform signs and wonders to prove himself. Mm. Which the footnote on that is from Chilchot Melachim 11.2. So that's from Rambam. Rambam said there's no need to. So this is the Rambam's uh, take on this. It says, there's not a need for Mashiach to perform signs and wonders to prove himself. And then another source so this guy's adding two sources together from a midrash called Pirkei Mashiach, which, man, we need to get that. But it says, nonetheless, he will do so. What was that last statement? Nonetheless, he will do so. So we've been talking about this general idea in Judaism that is not uh, receiving or professing Mashiach Yeshua as the Messiah. And there's this idea that anyone um, that obviously has an understanding of Hashem and Torah and all that, that even in their rejection of Yeshua HaMashiach, they still speak of facets of truth. And so the whole uh, statement about, you know, Mashiach teaching in his hometown and all the, the crowd is all like, isn't this Yosef's son, you know, the carpenter? And then it's like, well, when you look at the source text about Mashiach being the son of Yosef, it's like they just called him Mashiach ben Yosef. And then the word for carpenter is the word harash, which means craftsman, which means a learned scholar in Torah. So they're saying that this is Mashiach ben Yosef, the one who is super learned in Torah. So even here in Yochanan 7, verse 3, when they say, go do your works, they're already testifying that Mashiach doesn't have to do works, but he's going to. Right. Very, very interesting. So the other thing I wanted to comment on this verse is that um, they, they want to, the brothers here, when they're telling him to leave from Galilee, to leave from the hill country of Ephraim and go to Yehuda, you know, they're saying you need to go there. So that your Talmudim will see. So that your Talmudim will be able to be face to face with the face. You know? Right. In other words, Mashiach has to come from Galilee to appear to his people. And there's this whole idea that um, that is apparently not talked about because we're going to see later in this uh, chapter that everyone's like, can any any prophet come out of Galilee? And you start to understand in sources, like one of them is the Zohar that says Mashiach will come from Galilee. The Messiah text, Mashiach will come from Galilee. And so right here in this verse, we see that Mashiach is coming from Galilee to appear to his people, to prove that he is the Mashiach. During the Hag of Sukkot. During, yes. So yeah, there's that. I think that's, that's all I got on verse three. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, when we were saying that, it just made me think about what I had read in here, but yeah, that's all I got, too. So, we do need to get Pirkei Mashiach. That would be 
on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, literally says, see Midrash, Kirkane, Mashiach. Man. <laughs> and I tried to look up Or Hakaim on Shemot 2111, and it's all in Hebrew on the Safari app, and my other book is not next to me right now. Oh, I will try not to cry. <laughs> it's all good. It's like I showed up to a source fight and I was lacking something. <laughs> All right, verse four. Hit it. For no one who seeks public notice does anything besod secretly. Ooh. If these things you do, then manifest yourself to ha'olam, to the world. So, so no one who seeks public notice does anything in secret. These things you do, manifest yourself to the world. Sounds like a challenge that you don't want no part of. <laughs> right? All right, so I'm queuing up on that word besod. Oh, man, here we go. All right, because cause you, would you like to elucidate on sod a little bit? Well, sod is, is, has the gematria of 70. Mm. Uh, we know that sod... Um, Actually, it's kind of interesting. I mean, think about it. What is the soul really? Like, what, what are we? What are we in this? In our time period, we are, in essence, you know, Bezrat Hashem making an effort to tikkun and rectify uh, the ayin in Yeshua because the ayin is actually has the has the gematria of seventy. Right. And so, you think about why, you know, why, why does Mashiach do everything in secret and doesn't want nobody to know? It's because it's hidden, right? Right. And he even tells, he even tells, he even tells uh, Kepha in a later, in, in the, the Red Hot Shah is like, no man revealed this to you, but my, my father in heaven revealed this to you, you know? <laughs> right. Like, they don't. They don't know. They don't know me because they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't. You know who I am because the Father revealed it to you. Mm. <clears throat> and so Mashiach's clearly not seeking to be glorified yet, right? Yep. That's Mashiach ben David. Mashiach is like, I'm not here to do this. Like, but if you manifest yourself to the high or lives to the world, and it's like, I think that's you now. You know, you correct me if you if you you'd like but i think that is our mission in uh repeat judaism is to restore the ayin back to yeshua because that ayin that one simple letter is so crucial and so important that that literally is the soul you know and then so really goes on uh for for forever you know so to something that is 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 deep yet hidden yet yet the, the benefit of, of studying the Torah, uh, it's known as the wine, you know, the wine of the Torah. That's why the, the, the sages would say their eyes are bloodshot from, from studying the wine of the Torah was because they've been reading and studying and praying all night that their eyes are so bloodshot, you know. Uh, and so they're just that much more infused with holiness. And so, the other, and the other thing was sowed is the uh, the milah, 
has the same gematria as Sode. Or, yeah, it says 70. What? Yeah. And, see, and then you got the 70 nations. Oh. Too much truth. So, stand by, everybody. Shalom Aleichem. Hey, welcome back. I don't know what was up with that. I guess uh, too much truth overload. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't even know where I left, what I was saying when I left off. But you basically, were... I guess... Okay. Uh, Go ahead. I guess what I was trying to say is just just restoring that I am back to Yeshua. I think I, I think my final thought, and I, I think it's funny because it like, it turned out right as soon as I was, was getting ready to say it, but oh. uh, the final thing I said was, you know, you, you, you take away, just think about taking away one letter away from the Torah, which you're not supposed to add to or take away, much, much more so, moreover, however I should say that, why are you going to do the same thing to the man who is the word made flesh? Or if you could even call him a man, but you know what I'm saying? Like, just, 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 I don't know. Anyway, this is kind of my thought on the whole. So, Scamatra being 70 and an iron, it's just, we got to restore that iron. We got to rectify it. Um, you know, just right to Shem. Um, we will. Amen. Can you hear that song? So uh, I appreciate you elucidating that and giving me time, plenty of time, to load up over here. But I want to just say here, here to what you were saying, because first of all, you brought up wine and Torah. So that's crazy, because the word for wine in Ivrit is Yayin, which is Yod Yod Noon. Yod Yod Noon has the gematria of 70. So literally, the soda of the Torah is likened to wine. And the, the drosh that they give on that is when uh, wine goes in, secrets come out. So, right, yeah. So you think about being drunk on the wine of Torah. You're going to find the secrets of the Torah, but you're also going to have blood eyes, like bloodshot eyes, which means you've been studying Torah to a very, very intense level you're staying up late you're really uh pressing yourself past your physical um ability you know not saying you need to do that all the time even though that's what apparently king david did uh, i was listening to a drosh that was talking about i think it was rabbi anava actually who was talking about how Melek David studied so much torah that it, he was considered to only sleep for like a few hours at a time and um, I, I've actually heard that David Hamelech only slept for like thirty minutes a night. Like that's that's how much sleep I, I, I've I've I've. I don't know if that's exaggerated. I kind of believe it actually. If I'm just being honest, but uh, well, let's yeah. just let's just point it out here that <laughs> that's that's probably not too far from the truth. Because how are you gonna write Tehillim? I mean, yeah. Think about homeboy. Homeboy wrote 150 chapters of the most in-depth and eternal teachings of the Word of God. I'm pretty sure you have to lose a lot of sleep in order for that to happen. Oh, and, and speaking of 70, I mean David Hamelech only lived 70 years. Oh, so come on, <laughs> man. Okay, so. I just wanted to point out the Yain is 70. I also want to point out restoring the Ayin to Mashiach. When you look at this... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm saying, come on. Let it go, let it go. 
uh, the passage in um, Parsha Tol Dot that talks about Yaakov being born, grabbing on to the heel of Asav. In that verse, it talks. If you look at the initial letters, you see the name of Yeshua spelled out like Yod Shin Vav Ayin. And if you look at the Ayin, the Ayin is literally in the word Asav. And so, in order to complete Mashiach Yeshua's name, to restore the Ayin to Yeshua, you have to get it from Asav, which means you have to go to the seventy nations and bring out the righteous converts. Not righteous Gentiles, righteous converts, i.e. newborns. Go get more Jews. Go on the Great Commission. Go out into all the nations. You know, like Mashiach says in Matthew 28. So literally, if you look at the Great Commission, if you look at, you know, restoring the Ayin to Mashiach Yeshua, that's one and the same. You got to go to the nations. You got to go to Rome. You got to go to the exile and go and make converts make disciples so that was the other thing that i heard you um basically talking about and so i'm back over here with benny b again this time he decided I'm, about to get, I'm in there too go ahead go, go ahead because <laughs> we just celebrated yom kippur and during yom kippur we study yona now the crazy thing about this is how come yona is the central focus of Yom Kippur. You're talking Day of Atonement. You're talking the exact midpoint of the High Holy Days. And Hashem is like, yeah, let's study Yonah. This is a great time to do that. And it's just like, okay, so we're crowning Hashem as king, Rosh Hashanah, making Teshuvah, we're sounding the shofar. Uh, in the future, this will be where the dead are resurrected, and this is where Mashiach will uh, be crowned as king. And then we're going to go 10 days later into Judgment Day, Yom Hadin, the Day of Atonement. And then we're going to take all of that momentum and go right into the Festival of New Beginnings, the, the wedding celebration of Sukkot. And in the middle, there need to be some, uh, some, some Gentiles who've been given the message of make Teshuvah for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, uh, make Teshuvah or this city will be overturned. And, uh, you know, Hashem is like, perfect. This is exactly where this needs to go. So you have this idea that in order for the name of Yeshua to be complete, you have to go to the exile, you have to go to the nations, and you have to go teach the message of Teshuvah, repentance. You have to go out with the good news, the gospel, and um oh. right and here, here if here. i may here here okay let me uh go back to it. it says so every firstborn this is this is from benny b it says talking about the uh um, I, I went back to shamot because there's something there was an article that he that i read from him this year that really really moved me and brought me to tears and this was actually the part that uh brought me to tears but says this about you, because you say repent for the kingdom of heaven is hands the message we're supposed to proclaim. And so this is just part of that message that uh, that we all need to internalize and have bear in mind. It says the Maharal is linking the donkey to this mitzvah. So they're talking about the donkey. So it says every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a land. 
And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and you shall redeem all the firstborn of man among your sons. Exodus 13.13. So the Zohar comments on the link between the lamb and the donkey. The donkey and the lamb symbolize the evil and the good inclinations. The very evil can be turned into good by repentance. The donkey, quote-unquote, must be redeemed by a lamb. In other words, even if a man is a donkey, i.e. a spiritual ignoramus, he can be redeemed from the exile of darkness and be included in the redemption of Israel, the scattered sheep, Jeremiah 50, 17. But if he does not repent, he shall break his neck, meaning he belongs to the stiff-necked ones who will be blotted out from the book of life, for concerning such unrepentant sinners, it is whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. That is Zohar, right? Aya Mehemna, 43a, and then it kind of goes on from there. Beautiful article, though, but that's, anyways. Burgesham. Alright, so, um, to just kind of tag onto that, about the Yetzahara, the evil inclination... Uh, in Mashiach, who, what, when, all the W's, uh, I'm just going to call that the Mashiach W book here. So on page 104, it has this title called the New Testament. And what's so interesting about this, I know I shared this with you earlier, but for the sake of the recording, it says, having seen that the Torah comprises 613 councils, we can now understand how Mashiach, with the revelation of the Torah of Atik, which, by the way, Torah of Atik means the highest level of the Torah. Literally, and so this is like beyond the level of the written Torah. This is beyond all rabbinic commentary, Jewish literature. Right. That level. Ancient of ancients. So uh, anyway, the the Mashiach is going to have this revelation of Torah that he's going to bring. And it says, we are now able, or Sika, so we understand how the Mashiach, with the revelation of the Torah of Atik, will be able to direct people's free choice towards the will of God. So that's the first thing. So through Mashiach coming with this high level of Torah, he's going to cause our free choice to be turned like Teshuvah towards Hashem's will, which is Torah. So we have a free choice to not do Torah. This is why Shaul would say, you've been given this freedom, but don't use your freedom as a pretext to break Torah. Don't use your freedom as a pretext for sin, basically. But he says, use it to serve one another. Use it to follow the will of God. Which, by the way, if you follow the Torah, the law of Messiah... That is, a, that is the one where you nullify yourself and you serve your neighbor. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. That literally is called the Torah of Messiah. So what we're looking at right here, it goes on to say the Torah that we know today that was revealed to us at Sinai was given to us at a time when the world was not yet free of evil. Man was still left to his own devices. So check this out. To anyone adhering to the 613 councils, they become advice, helping to direct him towards a spiritual life. Shaul in Romans 7 talks about the fact of us 
not following the Torah, not keeping the Torah because we're unspiritual and the Torah is spiritual. So therefore, when you connect yourself to the Torah of Messiah, when you connect yourself to Messiah, which by default will connect you to his Torah, you have this idea of becoming spiritual, which means you're going to fulfill the Torah because he's turning your heart towards Hashem. And now the mitzvot don't become commandments. They become the advice that you go, hey, you know what? That's something that I need to do. So I'm going to do it. But anyway, it says a man still must come and seek the advice from the true Zadokim, those who have mastered the study of these councils and have also mastered the Yetzahara, the evil inclination. So in other words, just because you have Mashiach, just because you have the Torah, the, the Torah doesn't nullify Yeshua. Yeshua doesn't nullify the Torah. Yeshua is also the one who's going to help us better understand the Torah. Not better as in we don't get it, but better as in sowed, like deep, secret level. And then on top of that, he's going to teach us how to master our Yetzirah. Right, so much so. Return the donkey or redeem the donkey for with the lamb. So much so. How much so would you say? How much so? In tractate here. Here, here, here. Here, here. In tractate Sanhedrin. Mm. Rav Yehoshua comments. Mm. What is that which no eye has seen? Rav Yehoshua ben Levi said, This is wine preserved in its grapes since the six days of creation. Reish Lakis says, This is Eden. The mid, that's Sanhedrin 99a. This is the Midrash. That is, that's from Sanhedrin 99A. What, wait, what did he say this was? He said this was what? Eden. Eden. God Eden. <clears throat> Sanhedrin 99A. Midrash Rabbah says, Israel brews himself with Torah, which is sweeter than honey. The Holy One, blessed be he, were therefore, and they hereafter, give them to drink. Of the wine that is preserved in its grapes since the six days of creation. So Yeshua says, my time has not yet come because the messianic kingdom is not here yet. Mm -hmm. Even so, he gives us a, a taste of wine hidden for the Olam Chaba, the world to come. This teaches us that we do not need to wait for the kingdom to bring it here now. The kingdom can be here now. Brought by mitzvah in full manifestation will come when Mashiach returns. But we can t bring a taste of the Messianic kingdom. Hayyam. Today, if you hear his voice, Baruch Abishem Adonai. Amen. And that's from our brother, Benny B. So the, the cool thing about what you just said is um, you think about this wine from Eden. It literally can be seen as old wine but also new wine, all at the same time. Old wine, the fact that it's already there, it's, it, it has existed since the six days of creation. How far removed are we from the six days of creation? Uh, lots of thousands of years. Then, at How about something like 57, 79? Ooh, come on, man. And then on top of that, new wine is a rabbinic euphemism for the secrets of Torah. So yes. You can't put old wine in a new wine skin. You can't put new wine in an old wine skin. But yet, 
this seek this uh this preserved aged wine here what kind of skin is that gonna have to go in because it's got to be new and old at the same time so there's that but uh anyway uh so sewed <laughs> that's what we're talking about so i would so go another ahead. thing about oh what you got go ahead go ahead no it's uh just 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 gonna drop this here but it says uh memtet also has 70 names <laughs> hashem has 72 names Yerushalayim has 70 names. That's right. Israel has 70 names. Wow. Okay. So, um, to think about the, the wineskin thing, you remember when man was first created and our skin was ore with an olive? That's right. Literally, we had layers. We had, like, we were covered literally in the splendor, the glory, the blah, blah. We were clothed in the splendor of Hashem's glory. Literally, that's the light that we were covered in. And then if you look at your fingernail, which is said to be the remnant of our skin that we used to have, you see it's like this transparent thing. And so you have this idea that when we're first brought forth from the dust of the earth and the water that was the mist in the garden and the breath of Hashem, the Ruach, you have this picture of being clothed in the light of God and having this skin that reflected that light. So you have like two different, you have at least two different layers of skin going on or clothing. So Adam and Hava were not brought forth naked, as some people would like to say, like, oh, yeah, they were naked before. And, and now, you know, since they ate from the tree, they were really naked. And it's just kind of like they only saw that they were naked because their eyes changed. And it's just like, I don't know where that line of thought came from, but, you know, obviously they, they, they had clothing. They weren't just running around naked in the garden. So anyway, I bring that up because when you think about the old wine and the new wine, you have to have two different skins at the same time to receive this wine that Mashiach is going to bring us. And when you look at the skin that we had before, we fell, we, it was an olive skin. It was ore, it was light. But then when we fell from grace and from that truth and that standard which we were created in, it's ore spelled with an ayin, which is like our human skin that we have now. Mm-hmm. So, Come on. Again, we're back to the ayin. And when we restore the ayin to Yeshua, he's going to restore our ayin skin to an olive. That's right. Which will actually be the wine skin that contains the wine that is brought forth from the six days of creation that is simultaneously new as well as old. Because the letter, the letter olive is all about unity and uh, it brings the higher and the lower worlds together in one. So, Rob, I'm still on the ladder of Jacob, just because just this uh, this article just really resonated with me on so many levels. But it says, Rob Yitzchak Wagshul comments: Revelation of this great love is accomplished through study of the Torah, 
which is compared to wine. This is the inner significance of the Talmudic saying, when wine, referring to Torah, enters a person, the secret, referring to the longing of their soul for God, comes out. When the wine of Torah enters a person's system, when he or she makes Torah the object of his or her, her soul's thought and speech through study and teaching of Torah and actions through actual performance of mitzvah, this stimulates the soul itself and brings its great love to the fore. Our verse 2 referring to eyes bloodshot from wine is speaking of the degree of delightful love which results after one has succeeded to the wine Torah and bringing out the great love hidden within one's soul. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. Mm. Or apparently so, and then, yeah. sowed. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay, so again, we keep overloading on truth here, so stand by. Shalom. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, one of the things I wanted to do, it's interesting that the, it kind of ended in the middle of this, but um, I wanted to post this in parts and I wanted to do like hour segments and we're at an hour and eight minutes. So I'm going to index right there for part one.